Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I spent ages preparing for that moment. In fact, my whole career had been preparing me. It cannot prepare you for that day when the guy that you're taking over from leaves the submarine and you go around and meet everybody and then you go and sit in that tiny little cabin that's in, in the control room and you go, wow, it really, this is it, it's here. Hi and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is another hot and humid day here in North Carolina, and this episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Ignite Management Services and Liberty Strength. These sponsors help me bring these shows to you each and every week, so I encourage you to click on their links below and check them out. Also, I want to encourage you to join us in our growing YouTube channel. Search for Deep Leadership on YouTube for videos of all my interviews and exclusive content. Well, that is it. Today is a best of deep leadership episode. I had a couple of scheduling changes this week, so I don't have a new episode to share with you. Therefore, I went back to the vault and I pulled out one of the most popular episodes from the past three years. Today, we're going to go way back to episode 101 and talk about what it's like to lead like a submarine captain. And my guest is Ryan Ramsey. Ryan is the former captain of the Royal Navy submarine HMS Turbulent. And we sat down and talked about what it's like when all the lines are cast off the boat and you are ultimately in charge of a crew of sailors on a deployed nuclear submarine at sea. Now, Jason shares a bunch of sea stories in this episode, including how he almost had a near-fatal incident on one deployment. If you've ever wondered what it's like leading people in one of the most dangerous jobs in the world, listen into this amazing interview and find out. I guarantee this discussion will help you become a better leader with your team. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Ramsey. Ryan is the former captain of the Royal Navy submarine HMS Turbulent. He was also the commanding officer of the Submarine Command Course, which is the school for naval officers preparing to take command of a submarine. All in all, Ryan spent 23 years as a submarine officer in the Royal Navy, and I'm excited to talk to him about the really unique leadership lessons he learned throughout his career. So, Ryan, welcome to the show. 
Thanks for having me. So, you know, I got to ask you a question because I get asked every time I'm on a show. Um, why did you decide uh, to go into submarines? Why did you decide that you wanted to be, of all things, a submarine officer? So, so when I, when I first joined the Navy, I didn't want to be a, a submarine officer, but you, you get a, a view of experiences at the Naval Academy. And, um, and I, I remember this one unique day where we went on board HMS Splendid, which was a, a, an S-class nuclear submarine. And it was just so unique. And you looked around, you looked at the teamwork and you looked at the camaraderie and, and I thought, this is this is what I want to do. It's, it's, it's just amazing. And it wasn't even about being a captain of a submarine at that time. It was just about being a submariner and being part of that tight-knit crew. And, and that's why I went into submarines. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it is a very unique, tight, like you said, tight environment, a lot of uh, teamwork, camaraderie, and uh, you're, you're pretty much, you know, you know, you know, your crew really well because, you know, tight spaces, not, not many places to go. So it's a very unique environment. Yeah, it is indeed. So you spent uh, in total, uh, well, about 17 years in various roles as submarine officer before you took command. Uh, what was your experience like as a young officer when you first got to the boat and you realized that you were going to be in charge of sailors? It, it was really, um, I don't think I was prepared for it the first bit. And that's my own preparation as opposed to anything else. I think I took it a little bit for granted that I, I was going into this particular role. Um, but quickly, because you, 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 you're of no worth while you're unqualified, um, it quickly made me realize that actually everybody on that submarine knew way more than I did about the submarine itself. And, and actually, I need to bring myself up to speed if I was going to lead effectively. And so, so it really focused me. And as soon as you, as soon as you got through that, everybody trying to help you through that process, you'd realize you joined this tight knit family, the submarine service, that as long as you gave 110%, they were always going to do the same for you. And, and, and for me, that was fantastic. Yeah, it is very, it's definitely unique uh, environment. I, I sort of felt the same. Uh, I don't know about on, 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 on the submarines over there, but I know there was like this positive peer pressure to get qualified. Like, so, you know, it, it was, you know, they'd harass you when you weren't qualified, you know, but, but there was this peer pressure that was, you need to be a valuable member of this crew and we're going to help you get there. Was that your experience as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it, it, without being qualified, you're a passenger and there's no space for passengers on board. And so, and, and even down to when, when the, when the submarine gets alongside and, and um, if you're not qualified, you can't be the duty officer uh, at that period of time. That, that means that somebody else has got to step into that role. So you, you genuinely feel um, without that pressure to get qualified that you must get qualified because otherwise you're not giving enough to the submarine. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting too, like in, in, in civilian work and, you know, I've run a bunch of different companies is there's generally not that pot, that peer pressure that, or that, or that even internal pressure that people feel that they have to become valuable and useful. And uh, I know for, for a fact, when I left the military and came into the civilian world, I felt that pressure just naturally because I'd been there. That was the way I felt as a submariner. And uh, so it's interesting that that, I wonder. I wonder if that that kind of condition existed in companies. If people would be more apt to learn more, become more qualified, you know, grow more. It's something that uh, I think about a lot from a business standpoint. And I, I agree with you totally. I mean, you know, I've been out of the Navy for uh, nearly seven years now, but every single company I've worked with on my journey to learn as much as I possibly can is about how much can I give back and how can I learn quickly so that I'm actually giving to the company as opposed to taking from it, which which I don't want to do. 
Yeah, no, that's that's the same same here. Uh, we in the U.S. Navy, we called them nubs. People weren't qualified. They were non-useful bodies, and I never wanted to be a non-useful body. <laughs> it's a very uncomfortable place to be. So. It is. So, um, at what point did you decide that you were going to make a career out of uh, being a submariner? What what went into the decision to say, you know what, I'm going to stay in. I'm going to do 23 years. I'm going to work my way up to command. When did how did that decision? What was the decision like for you? So interestingly, I, I, I mean, I always think that the, the, the narrative that I tell people is I joined the submarine service and I wanted to stay with it until I was in command and um, and enjoy that journey. But when I when I left the military, I, I asked for all of my reports to, to come back. And, and it's really interesting because I was, I was flighty. Every two or so years I was going, hang on, I don't want to be here. I want to be doing something else. And, and it would have something saying, we don't know whether he's going to stay or whether he's going to go. Um, but there was a couple of tipping points for me. Um, the first one was I was fortunate to do the first exchange with the Royal Netherlands Navy um, in their submarine service and 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 that was that that, that really held me in. The second one was um, I went out to uh, to do an exchange with the US Navy and, and, and I got to serve with some really different people during that period of time. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. And and and, and that point for me, um, I was going, right, that's it. This, this is what I'm going to do. And this is how I'm going to do it. So so I think to say that I started off and I was I was destined to make sure that I got to be a commanding officer is absolutely wrong. I was just trying to enjoy every single job and decide whether I was going to continue with the military up until that point and then and then I changed my mind and 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 um I'm focused on 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 the job at hand which was to to command so so it wasn't you weren't you weren't it wasn't your destiny but you discovered it uh, that this was you just you just kept continuing down the pipeline and you decided this is this is really interesting and you got some great experiences where you said wait this is really what I want to do yeah, I think I think my, my sense of purpose is is really important. So my purpose, I, I, I when I joined the military, it was about serving my queen. It wasn't about serving the government. It wasn't about serving anything else. It was about serving the queen, and and I, and I believe that, and 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 really did use that to underpin what I did. But it was obvious that I was I was always looking for something different. And then when I eventually found it within the submarine service, that that just that just kept me in. That's great. Well, you went all the way to become a commanding officer, and uh, that is, you know, it's it's you know, it, it, there's there's a pyramid that happens, right? Is that there's a lot of junior officers come into the Navy, but there's very few that take command. So you were one of the few that made it all the way to command. So, you know, you were the commanding officer of the HMS Turbulent. Uh, Turbulent. Um, what was that experience like when you first took over the boat? I mean, what? How did you feel when you know that you had the sole responsibility for a crew of about 130 sailors and a nuclear-powered submarine? What What goes through your mind when you're stepping on board, knowing that at one at some point the lines are going to get cast off and you are going to be solely in command of this the, this vessel? I think that that first day is is so unique, and it doesn't matter how I, I spent ages preparing for that moment. In fact, my whole career had been preparing me to be to be a commanding officer, and I knew uh, about eight months in advance that I was I was going off to HMS Turbulent, um, and so everything was preparing for that. But it cannot prepare you for that day when the guy that you're taking over from leaves the submarine. And you go around and meet everybody, and then you go and sit in that tiny little cabin that's in in the control room, and you go, "Wow, it really this is it. It's here." And um, 
and it is my responsibility. And I don't think you really feel it alongside, but as soon as you get to sea for the first time, and the first time you dive the submarine in command, or the, the team are diving the submarine, but you're actually in command while you're doing it, the, 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 the real um, gravity of that responsibility, mm-hmm. you've got to get these people to do the mission, you've got to bring them back to their families, you're responsible to their families, you're accountable to their families to make sure that they get back safely and you achieve the mission. Um, so, so, so I went through that. And then after that, I, I, I stopped thinking about that because it could weigh you down massively if you, if you just consider, consider that over and over again and dealt with things um, sometimes day by day, but most of the time I'd be thinking way ahead as to the the strategic elements we go through it. And then once you get in that routine, um, you you just accept, you understand, you you accept responsibility. If things go wrong, it's your fault and and you deal with it. If things go right, that's the success of the team. Um, And you'll answer and you'll protect your team because you do, you protect your team all all, all the time and and you just you just function. It's, it's, it's a function of leadership for me. Um, and then it just becomes natural behavior. And, um, and, and then you're settled at that point. So you, you know, your training kicks in, I guess, after, after a while and you, you sort of get over the, you know, the butterflies of, Oh shoot. <laughs> there's no one, there's no one to look to when things go wrong. You're, you're it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think when when we do the um, the perisher course, uh, the submarine command course, you do that as a lieutenant commander before you become a, a second in command or an XO. But the reality is, there's always somebody else there, and you don't realise it at the time because you've done the course and you've passed, and very few people do. But there's always somebody else there. So when I was an XO, the reality was the captain was there too. And my captain was great. So he would step off the submarine sometimes and let me take it to sea on my own. So I, I had that experience to build on. Um, but the reality is when you're the captain, it is yeah, the buck stops with you. And uh, not that you have to have all the answers all the time, but you, you're the one that's going to be making a lot of the decisions. Mm, wow. In, in my latest book, I have a chapter called Run Your Ship Like a Submarine Captain. If I say to you, what, is, what would that mean to you to, to, to run your organization like a submarine captain? What are some unique, uh, I don't know, what, what, what would, how, what, how would you answer that question, I guess? So, so I, I've got a few elements really for me. So the first bit is about, about your team. Know your team. Know everything about your team and know their families and understand everything about them. Because the moment that you turn around and notice a change in one of your teams and it changes the performance, that affects everything else. And you have to be able to compensate for that um, and, and help them out. The second one for me is about consistency. Um, I, I was always a very consistent, um, and I've been told this as opposed to me just saying it, but I was a consistent leader in that I was never too happy. I was never too sad. I, I never got angry. Um, I probably showed disappointment on occasions, but I was steady. And so what they got, what they got was a captain who was continually steady all the way through and didn't go through this dynamic of massive reactions. And in the business world, I see so many leaders who go through those, that emotional thing and can't control it. And actually you need some consistency that goes through it. The third big big bit for me is communications. So it's about going around and just talking to people. The, 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 the Royal Navy have a a term called walk the teak which comes from HMS victory and wooden ships but it was about officers getting around and and finding out what's going on touching parts of the boat you know it's our submarine and and you you can't make decisions without having a quick look and seeing what things are there and understanding the conditions that people have to operate in so that those for me are the um sort of underpinning pieces that go with go with it 
Yeah. And, and those, those fit really well with business, right? Know your team, you know, don't know how they're motivated, be able to see when there's a change in, in their behavior, consistency, being, being steady, being, you know, cause we, you know, the, often our, our, our people are affected by our mood, right? If so, if you're constantly up and down, your people are up and down. If you're constantly, you know, excited about everything, they're excited and they're nervous about everything. So I think that consistency is really good. Communication is a big part of it. And what you said in terms of communications was not getting over, we called it the one MC. I'm not sure what it was on your boat. It's not getting over the one MC and just dictating what's going to happen. It's communication one-on-one, one -on -one, talking and listening and having the, that relationship and building that relationship. And then, um, you know, and, and getting out and spending time physically seeing what's going on. Walk the Teak. I've never heard that before. And uh, it's like a title for a book right there. I love that. It's actually, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite incredible. I mean, the, the, the other bit is I, I used to spend a lot of time reading. Somebody, somebody always asked me, who did I turn to when I when I had challenges? And and, and, and I didn't realize it until I was um, one of my friends, another submarine captain came on board and he said, you've got a lot of autobiographies um, up there from military leaders. Mm. So I used to read all the time whenever I, every chance I got reading is just, it's, it, you know, it's, it's just brilliant. But what I was trying to do without realizing it was validate some of the decisions I'd made because nobody else is going to test you when you're out there and say, Hey, have you thought about this? Well, your crew will, but nobody's validating your decision. And that, that would really help me. And, and so some of those things, so for example, um, how more whose whose book, um, uh, 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 is, is just fantastic, but his whole bit about teach the person below you to do your job and learn the job of the person above, we instilled that massively and, and changed it. So not the job below you, but two jobs below, learn, make sure that person knows your job and then pushing everybody up. So sometimes I would step out, give um, command, so to speak, to one of my junior officers. So they got that experience and that helped them all in the future. I think it's, it's a hard thing to do, but, but you've got to do that. Yeah, that's really important. That's one of the lessons I learned, you know, as a submarine officer is that my captain would do that. He would give us, he would delegate the, uh, the authority to certain, you know, certain watches like a maneuvering watch or um, like, uh, you know, getting the boat ready for sea, you know, he would be off the boat and he'd say, you know, Rennie, you're, get the, get the, you know, get the boat ready for sea. And we're going to, you know, we're going to take it out today. And, and, and he'd be off the boat somewhere and he, and I'm like, well, I've never done that before, you know? So he, they, they, but one of the things they did was they gave, they delegated authority. My captain always delegated authority, but he never delegated responsibility. He always kept that yeah. responsibility. He was, he was, he was responsible for that ship and that crew and but he would delegate me, sort of give me the keys every once in a while. But he was always there to back me up if anything went wrong. And and like you said, given those opportunities to do the job above you is something that was big part of my experience as well. And I try to do it in my civilian career. But I think we we don't do that enough in business. We tend to pigeonhole people into well, you're a quality person, or you're you're a marketing, you're a sales, and we don't tend to try to give those an opportunity where they can go to that next level or 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 get a more generalist view of the company yeah absolutely i i i'd agree with you i i, I rarely see that within businesses um that i've operated in where they where they where they spread the spread the knowledge and spread the experience and and, and create those opportunities so let's uh let's talk a little bit you so on your last deployment people need to understand this is that you you spent 190 days 
under the ocean uh, on, on a 267-day deployment. That's that's pretty significant. And you travel more than 38,000 miles uh, on that last uh, last deployment. What what um, you know? What is it like when you when you come back to port after a successful mission like that? And um, how, what you know? What did you feel? What were you know? I've, we're going to talk about a certain thing that happened on that that mission. But but just overall, what did it feel like to have accomplished something that significant and to come home safely with your crew? What's that like as a captain? So I tell you, it was, it was, it was really interesting because that last day was my last day in command as well, mm-hmm. and and. Um, the getting home, getting home was such a struggle. I mean, she was an old submarine. She was nearly 30 years old by the time we got back and things are breaking down all the time. And when we got into the Mediterranean, got through the Suez Canal and got into the Mediterranean, just, you sort of just praying, praying you're going to keep it all together to get back. Um, but that last day was, um, it was a really tough day for me that that day because we we'd been so tight as a community came back alongside, literally handed over the keys to somebody else Steps off the submarine. I remember saying uh, on the on the one MC saying, "Man, it's been a privilege." And then feeling really tearful, really tearful. Mm. And then the happiness of seeing my kids, which was which was absolutely amazing uh, to see them on the jetty. And then and then there was this massive void because I went back home and I had no responsibility. I had mm. nobody's going to be calling me up telling me that the reactor's been shut down and and they're in this position or they've done this. I had to have my phone back, so I now no longer had a phone because I, ne- I never had a personal phone and and it was just this blankness and and a massive void um and it took me they call it the command blues but it took me um it took me a while to get over that actually um it'd been such a big part of my life in fact it consumed my mm. my life totally and, and and i just had it removed like that in one day but we did you know we got back safely after 286 day deployment so i was i was, I was happy about that too we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This episode is brought to you by Ignite Management Services. Ignite is led by Mike Watson, who you might remember from episode 137. Mike and his team believe that everything starts with leadership, whether it's strategy execution or cultural transformation. It's the role of the leader to create the conditions for their people to succeed. The team at Ignite can help you develop critical habits to enhance your leadership capability and transform your business. Ignite Management is now offering the Resilient Leadership Assessment Tool. This is an online questionnaire designed to assess and guide leadership development, coaching, and team building. It provides leaders an opportunity to gain insights into their leadership strengths and development needs. After taking this assessment, you will receive a custom detailed report that provides practical and actionable recommendations to enhance your effectiveness. I have taken this assessment myself and found it to be extremely valuable in helping me make changes to my leadership approach. Right now, Ignite is offering 15% off the price of this tool to the deep leadership audience. Go to ignitemanagement.ca and enter the code START15 at checkout 
to get started today. This episode is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger at Liberty Strength. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area that they are lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. Your energy skyrockets, your sleep improves, your confidence increases, and more. But how can you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best people for the job. Don't struggle on your own. Put Liberty Strength in your corner. Jeremy and his team will work with you to take your physique, mindset, nutritional habits, and more to the next level with his step-by-step, all-inclusive coaching program. I've worked with Liberty Strength for the past two years, and I'm in the best shape of my life, and I'm still hitting strength personal records at 56 years old. If you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at LibertyStrengthTX.com to find out more and get your initial consultation schedule with him today. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You know, you just you telling that story, the motions just, just you know, I, and I, I write about it in my book, just coming down the ladder, you know, from, uh, from you know, I had the watch, so we were on the surface, coming down the ladder, knowing it's my last watch and uh, having, you know, the chief of the watch shake my hand and and and, and it just was like, wow, I'm never going to do that again. And it's just, it's a really, really weird feeling to to know that yeah. you trained so hard, you you, uh, you did a lot longer than I did, but but then knowing that you're never going to do that job again, it's really, that's a, it's, it's really emotional. And uh, just you, you, you tell that story. I was getting, I was getting emotional just hearing it. So it's something that uh, it's pretty special to get to, to do these kind of jobs. And uh, it's hard when you step away from it. But I mean, as you say, we've trained up the next generation to, to take over and it's their, it's their time, you know, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard it, when it's just uh, when it's over. Yeah. It's difficult. It is it absolutely is, and, and the whole bit for me was it was about serving a team, which was which was fantastic. It was it was the greatest privilege I could have ever had to do. It. Nothing else is going to match it, and 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 it's taken me a while to accept that. I, that I can't find that same that same feeling, but I, I look back, and as long as until I get really really old and can't remember this stuff, I will always remember that as the best three years and four months that that I that I could ever have. I love it. That's so cool. Um, so I want to talk to you about that. You had an incident that happened on that patrol or on that deployment, excuse me. Um, you had a catastrophic failure of your air conditioning systems on board, uh, on board the boat and temperatures on the boat got close to about 140 degrees Fahrenheit. You had hundred percent humidity. You had 26 sailors that suffered from heat exhaustion, eight of which were life-threatening. You had a real crisis on your hand on that, uh, on that deployment. Tell us a little bit about from a leadership perspective, what you went through as the captain of this uh, of this uh, submarine, you're in charge and you have a you have a major crisis on your hands of which could could potentially be deadly. Uh, uh, How did you go through that? What were some of the emotions? How did you lead through that time? Yeah, so the first, um, we, we, I mean, the incident was crazy and it happened so quickly. I, I, when, when you look back at the time, it was, it was basically a two and a half hour incident that nearly cost the lives of 
a lot of people. And um, and and the key bit for me was it was a completely wicked problem. I'm all about tame problems and wicked problems. And you tame problems through tra- training and, and you train for this. But n- nobody had ever seen this. None of us had seen this before. Um, and then when when we started with the first first few casualties um that that was i i found that really horrendous um seeing seeing my team it just be you know one paramedic on board trying to deal with all these different casualties and me getting around the submarine communicating to people checking how they are the temperatures are crazy hot um i'm starting to worry about weapons when they're going to cook off is the react going to shut itself down where do we get help from? And I'm, I'm doing all this in my mind whilst trying to assimilate information as we're as we're going around. Now, I was I, I I did feel I was really scared. I mean, genuinely, internally, really scared. I remember looking at a photo in the early stage of um, early stage of the incident, a photo of my my family, thinking this is it. I'm not going to see them again. And, and then changing, going, no, we need to fight through this and I need to do what I do and, and just get going with it. And, and I always thought that people could see how worried and scared I was, but it comes back to that consistency piece. So because I manage emotion well, I ended up in this position where people think, people were, my crew were going, he's in control of what's going on. Whereas the reality was something totally different. I had no idea what the answer was or what the solution was. And everybody else, because they were so um, empowered, people were just doing things. I couldn't I couldn't consider all of the elements that go with it, but people would just do things. And that really helped me out. And that gave me time to turn around and formulate a plan and work out uh, how we were gonna how we're gonna effectively save the uh, save the submarine, which is which is what we did. And the answer was something was to dive the submarine on tertiary systems with no sonar and everything else. You know, everything switched off to to minimise heat, but to get the submarine as deep as you possibly could into cooler water, which would then cool the submarine, and then give time for the engineers to find the problem and fix the problem, which is which is what happened and. and what we did it's it's brilliant because um i you know we've talked earlier about this and where did you come up with the idea of to dive deep get to the cooler water where did that come from so 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 um when we were coming through the red so i i looked back historically uh at previous missions and one of the submarines hms superb had hit the bottom hit the bottom in the red sea and when you looked at the reasons for why they were so deep when they when they hit this sea mount was they were trying to cool the submarine so they, they could get more power to go faster to match up with the routing that had been planned for them and then i looked at the 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 sort of history of the Red Sea effectively. And it's like this big bath that's just been heating up for millennia, which is why it never cools down the deeper you get. And then when we went into um, into the Gulf of Oman, we were doing some anti-submarine warfare exercises. And I remember mapping the temp. I was getting the team to map the temperature of water. And just be- for, for not for that, that was for anti-submarine warfare. But that fact that we had that information, that I went, hang on a sec, the temperature on the surface, the outside temperature is 42 degrees Celsius. The water temperature is 37 degrees Celsius. But when we did that exercise, the water temperature was 20 degrees Celsius. Let's get deep as we possibly can, because otherwise we'll never cool the boat down. And, that, and that's that's how that came about. Yeah, that's and, and and again, you know, I think leaders who are listening into this, what does that mean for you? Well, it's it's when you have to make, you know, if 
every little piece of information that comes to you, your knowledge of the business, if you spend time and you know the details of your business, you know what's going on, there might be that one detail that can help you and and solve a tough situation that comes down the road. In this case, you had a memory of the fact that, hey, we we plotted the the uh, temperature curve at, at, you know, and we've got cooler temperatures down deep. I need to get to that point. I need to get deep. That's the way we're going to cool it down. And you never know when that one piece of information is going to make a difference, especially in a crisis where you need, where you, if you didn't, if you hadn't done that, if you hadn't remembered that, that wouldn't have been able to help you in this scenario. And, and uh, so, yeah, leaders, you know, remember those things because you never know when you're going to need that piece of information. And in this case, it saved lives uh, because you're able to cool down the ship, fix the problem. The other thing I think you mentioned too is that you, you know, in terms of help, you were essentially helpless. There was no one, and that's one of the things that's unique about submarines is you typically operate alone, and there isn't any help. And you said you were fortunate enough to be able to radio and then get help at some point uh, when you resurface. Is that right? So yeah. So what we what we did because we had to deal with everything. There was no way we could, we couldn't go back to port. It was too far, and people would die. And that, that's effectively it. We could, I, I'd worked out that there was a helicopter base about two hours away. They could possibly get two or three helicopters out to us, but that wouldn't work for, for all of the crew. Um, the nearest frigate was 24 hours away. So there was no help, and I knew there was no help, which is why we had to deal with it ourselves. When we came back up and um, I sent a message to the headquarters to let them know what happened and that we got control and everything out, they weren't very happy, clearly, because they're saying... There's a, and, and I sort of understood that. They, they needed to know that their strategic asset had a problem. But, of course, we switched everything off in order to um, stop putting heat into, into the environment. And they to a man said the same thing. You should have done this and done that and done this. And, and then when I came back and said, well, none of those measures, I, I thought about all those and, and you've thought the same way, which validates what, what I was thinking, but it would never have happened in the time scale that, that you needed. So this was the only option we had. This was it. This was, there was no other option except this one and it works. So. Yeah. And it worked. It saved lives. And yeah, uh, that's great. That's, I, I, you know, it's funny when I hear that story, I think of like, if, and the reason for me, it's powerful because I just imagine myself being in that scenario and how, what I would have had to do. And, and, and just the fact that you guys, that, that your team stepped up, you've, you guys come up with a plan, you save lives uh, through, through quick decisions. That's just, it's such a powerful story. And uh, it's really, really good to hear that, uh, you know, that everybody, there was no one, you know, seriously injured through that. And uh, so my, my, my team were amazing uh, throughout all of it. Um, I mean, they just did things. I remember the most junior guy coming up to me and saying, hey, sir, do you realize none of the air purification equipment? So I hadn't even thought about air purification. I'm still thinking about something else. I said, no, I hadn't. And he said, yeah, that we're not absorbing any CO2. So he'd quickly worked out this 18-year-old kid that it's the co2 that's going to kill us not not the rest of it so he goes off uh, and puts on the emergency co2 absorption units in order to do that and people did loads of these different things without without being asked um just because they knew that that was the right thing to do and then just fed the information back in so they said i've done this and that was so, the, the empowerment piece and it's, it's on most sub, you know on all submarines people do things uh, but in business if people just got on and did things without asking for permission, um, maybe you have a different different uh, outcome and a good outcome. Well, a couple of things. One is they're they're trained and, you know, as you as the captain were responsible for training the crew and make sure they knew what they were they had to do. But the other thing is it tells the story of that your youngest employee, your youngest sailor is critical to your mission. And yeah. a lot of business leaders don't think that. They're like, well, you know, 
I'm important. My leadership team's important. And then there's the guy scrubbing the floor. Not so important. But the truth of the matter on a submarine, every person is important. Every sailor is critical to the mission. And this is an example of an 18-year-old sailor who on his own initiative through his training knew that something had to happen. And you were focused on other things. You couldn't think of every little detail. And that 18-year-old stepped up and made sure that everybody was safe through that process. Your youngest employee, your youngest sailor is critical to your mission. That's a really important lesson there as well. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. So you you went on, this is crazy, you went on then to lead the prestigious Royal Navy Submarine Command course, uh, also known as, as Perisher, is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. So so it's so a really interesting when I when I when I uh, was on my way back, um, every admiral that would come on board the submarine for briefings would just turn around to me and say, "Enjoy this; it's the best it gets." And so yeah. I, I'd made a decision whilst I was in my last year in command that I was going to leave the navy, yeah. and, I, and I really wanted to get into the business world because I wanted to try leadership in something totally different. Didn't know what it was. Didn't know what it looked like. Um, so, so that's what I decided. And then when I got back, they asked, um, and it was, I mean, huge privilege to be, to be even considered. Mm. And they turned around and said, would you teach the, um, the parachute course? And, um, and I, I could not say no to that. And predominantly because it was my last opportunity to give back to the Royal Navy submarine service. So to go into that role, uh, no no desire to be a, a higher rank and admiral or anything else just to give back to the next generation of um submarine leaders and the crews that they were that they were going to be serving with them was a privilege so so yeah i mean it was it was it was a crazy two and a bit years it was more challenging sometimes than being being a captain it really was more challenging um but it was great to be able to give back yeah, and, and and this is a this is a course that doesn't that has a fairly high attrition rate. You know, people don't get through it just because you get in doesn't mean you're going to get through it. So, uh, and you're really testing. Uh, well, you're you're testing everything about that individual going through that course. Will they? Can they take command of a nuclear submarine? Can they? You know, can they do what you did? What What are some of the important lessons or things that are taught uh, through that school with these uh, with these prospective commanders? So, so the course is about six months long um, and, and basically consists of a variety of, you almost divide it into three sections. The first section is some broader knowledge about uh, the Ministry of Defence, logistics, all those type of things that you're going to have to deal with as a, a commanding officer, as a captain. Um, the second phase is a, a sure phase in the simulators. So you get to practice everything in the simulators. But make your mistakes there. This is all training, right? This is just training. Make your mistakes now because when you go to sea, um, you, making a mistake has has consequence. And then, um, and then we take them to sea for uh, four weeks. And during that four weeks, it's it's just war, basically. It's the only way I can describe it. And it's really high-intensity war as well. The amount of um, money, assets, everything else that the, the Royal Navy shoves at this course is incredible. Multiple frigates, aircraft, special forces, you name it. Everything comes to train these, train these prospective commanding officers up. And, um, and then I put them under huge amounts of stress and I stress them out to the max because they need to learn where their limits are mm. and the, the 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 peace and responsibility for the perisher teacher is you're the backstop so so they might push themselves way beyond their boundaries but what you can't allow them to do is push them beyond your boundaries because otherwise you'll end up yeah. 
creating catastrophe. Um, and it's uh, my, my lesson, if, if I turn around and look at the students who passed and the students who failed, um, the students who failed, some of them went on to go and command ships, they went on to go and do other things, but they just weren't capable of commanding a submarine. And, and that's for a variety of reasons, sometimes decision-making, so procrastination over decision-making, sometimes making decisions so fast that they didn't give time to do it. So finding the right balance yeah. between when do I really need to make that decision and then making it when you do it controlling emotion i said to you about consistency but as things start happening and you start thinking this is the prize and i might be losing it and everything else emotions go off the road if you start treating people badly you're not going to pass that course because my responsibility is to the crews as well as the uh, as well as potential commanding officers and those, the combination of those two were generally why people ended up failing that course. They either failed to make the right decisions or they failed to control their emotion, their anger, um, their, their own stress management in order to manage it. And what you can't do, because once again, if you're a submarine captain, you're on your own, right? right? With your crew in a steel tube and the steel tube reflects the leadership style. And therefore, it needs to be a balanced leadership style as it goes um, as it goes forward. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's incredible. And like you said, you know, some some that don't get through that course end up being you know uh, captains of of surface ships. But there's something unique and special and and different to be on a submarine as a submarine captain, just because of the isolation, the you know the the fact that you're operating without other assets, the fact that. Uh, you know, it's 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 a there's complex machinery, uh, weapons, and and all contained in this in this metal tube. It's it, it takes a special person to do that job. It, it does. I mean, there's there's a, there's one other thing that's really interesting. So so on a surface ship, there's always somewhere for you to go. Right. It's big enough for the space that you can go away from someone. Yeah. So you get really hacked off with somebody doing something, and you can go somewhere just to cool down, calm down. There's nowhere on a submarine. <laughs> yeah. And, and the crew are looking at you 24-7. Mm. And, and so that whole piece about how you manage yourself all the way through, not that you think about it all the time, but being able to manage yourself and being able to manage those emotions and being able to explain the decisions you're making and why and all those type of things um, is, is a really special skill set. And not everybody's got that. Not everybody's got that. And submarine leadership is unique. Um, it, there's there's nothing else like it. I, I sometimes think about um, Space Shuttle or the ISS, but they've got constant communications. So, so right. they're commu- right. well, the submarine's gone. As soon as you go, that's it. Yeah. Your isolation. You're, you're, you're it. Yeah. You're hundred percent. Yeah. 24 seven. Like he says, 24 seven business. You don't go home at the end of the day. You can't have a beer. If you had a bad day, you can't go home on the weekends after a rough week. It's 24 seven in the spotlight on the stage. Um, no break. And, uh, yeah, until you get off the boat. I remember when I would get back, get off the boat, I would just tell my wife, "Just I just want to hear my first name. I haven't heard my first name in so long. <laughs> I was always Lieutenant or, or you know, or Randy, Lieutenant Randy or Mr. Rennie. I just want to hear my first name. <laughs> so, yeah. so you you have a book out and um, and uh, it's it's called SSN 14. And you ta- it talks about your time as a commanding officer. What what else is in the book? What what uh, if people are interested in learning more about your experiences. What's in the book that they could learn from? 
Yeah, so this was this was written um, basically. I, I kept unclassified diaries when when I was in because I, I just wanted you know when I wrote the book, um, it was all about a bit of legacy. So that my kid, when I'm old and 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 I've forgotten everything, at least that's there and and I can reflect back and read it. And I've I've, I've read it recently actually. I haven't read it for since I wrote it, but and, and actually it's. It, it was a really good read, rereading it and, and, and how my perception of things have changed over, over a period of time. So it's good to, to get, back, get back. But what I do is I talk a bit about my leadership journey, why I chose submarines, uh, my perception at that time of what leadership was, the elements of leadership. And it's changed a little since, since I've been in, been in business. Um, and, then, um, and then it talks about that 286-day deployment and takes, takes the reader through the good takes it through the bad through the challenges mostly about the challenges um and then and then brings brings you back home with hopefully some lessons that will will help leaders um in in their own thing i'm not telling anybody how to do it that's not what 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 it was there to do it was just to share my perception of that that period of time okay so it's called ssn 14 and we'll put a link in the show notes and you're working on a new book is that right I am, yeah. Second, second book. So, so this one's—I've I've been asked to write this one, um, and it's called uh, "Deep Pressure" at the moment. That name may change, but the, um, the, the and this is about the submarine commanding officers course and lessons from that. So, in, in essence, the way the book's written is it's following one of the students through the whole process. Um, and then it talks about some of the lessons that can be applied to the business world um, or to any world, actually, um, about leadership and and, um, and 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 how you can use those 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 elements that the course teaches. Okay, that's fantastic. That's going to be great. By the way, you can't call it deep leadership. I'm I'm kind of you know I'm kind of I like that name. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. Deep pressure. So, um, and we'll, 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 when, when it comes out, I'll, I'd like, love to have you back on the show and talk about it. I'll, I'll yeah, go sure. through it and, and get it done. So when, when is that, when are you expected to have that come out? I think it'll probably be the end of, end of this year. So, so, um, so I started it during lockdown, but business has been so busy that it's, um, it's taken a secondary, um, secondary position and I've, I, I will have some capacity, uh, capacity back this year, which is, which is good. Okay. Well, very good. We look forward to that. And uh, yeah, really, uh, I, I really, Ryan, I appreciate you coming on the show. I think you bring a really unique perspective. I know I, I do a lot of lessons about, you know, what it's like to be on a submarine, how you can bring that to business. I think you're, you were in a lot longer than I was. You had command, which is something I never had. I think you bring some really unique uh, lessons and, and a unique perspective. So I really encourage people, if you want to dive deeper, here I just said that. If you want to dive deeper into this topic, I think uh, I highly recommend pick up this book SSN fourteen. You'll learn a lot more. But uh, Ryan, I really appreciate you being on the show and sharing your journey uh, as a leader, as a submarine commander, and then teaching submarine commanders. Thanks. Thanks very much for having having me. Appreciate it. Well, thanks again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care.
Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big on this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. 